up, folks? Hey, welcome back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Alrighty, well, welcome to episode two. Well, episode two, Lord of the Folks. We're really cruising along here. We really are. Back, back to back, week after week. Week to week. Woo! Not an hour in between. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nice. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is the Lord of the Folks podcast. We're talking folklore myths and the, the stories behind it. Yeah. I'm Taryn. I'm Landon. Let's let's get into let's it. Let's fucking roll into it. What All are we right. talking about today, Taryn? All right. Well, we're going to be following up what we talked about last week. We're going to be doing this sort of seasonal escapade. Yeah. Yeah. An exploration of culture. An yes. exploration of culture. Picking a region and just deep diving into it. Okay. Uh, we've selected like Northeastern American woodlands slash like the Quebec, Canada yes. area. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, the Great Lakes area Yeah, Great as well. Lakes area. But, yeah. Okay. And we're going to be focusing on the First Nations. Those who don't know, First Nations are probably the largest of American indigenous cultures that existed pre-colonially, as well as to this day. According to the U.S. federal government, the resident expert on excellent relations with Native Americans, (laughs) there are 654 recognized First Nations, though there's most likely many more than that. There are too many, and they all have are vastly different culturally um, to do any justice in trying to describe them all at once. Yeah. And we did a brief overview in the last episode. Link is uh, the only other link on our page Amen. since it's episode two. Booyah. Booyah. But uh, we've decided that for these next two episodes, we're going to be focusing on two nations chosen amongst them. Yes. Uh, on this one, I'm going to be running it. This is about the Cree. The Cree. The Cree or the Nehayawak. And that, like, I know. I'm so bad at pronouncing things, but <laughs> that's okay. Yes. Like, I know I know nothing about the Cree. Taryn researched the Cree. Next week I'll do the Ojibwe. Yes, so. the Ojibwe. Come take a seat. Take, um, <laughs> take a seat next to me. <laughs> Come on, sit down. Grab, grab some popcorn. Let's let's learn about the Cree together. Yeah. So the Cree initiated in Marvel Comics in around 1980. Uh, Captain, I'm just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about the Marvel Cree, so. There goes that listener base. Yeah. See ya. See ya. I'll probably I'll probably put it in the name though. Do yeah. a little do a little baiting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just Marvel. Get, yeah, just to just reel them Marvel? in. Yeah, just uh-huh. the, the Marvel Cree. Hashtag Marvel. Blue people. Hashtag Marvel. <laughs> Hashtag Cree. It's going in the description. Yep. Cree, uh, they're a member of the a branch of the Anishinaabe people who last episode we discussed they migrated down the east coast of northern Canada, sort of settled around the Great Lakes area, subarctic as the uh, the biome is called. It's that very like high tundra woodland frosty woodlands, lots of caribou, bears, wolves, uh other moose, large probably. Oh know. moose, yeah. Moose are fucking up killing yeah. machines, those <laughs> They're like, scary. The hippos of North America. Yeah. <laughs> the hippos. They'll, it's true though. They'll just I mean, fuck you up for no good you don't reason. Think the hippo would mess you up, but oh man. They kill more people than lions. Yeah, that's crazy. Moose the same. The Cree hunt these guys like for fun, so yeah. I mean business. <laughs> and similar to how the Cree relate to the other Algonquin speaking nations of the region, and that they're all a little similar but vastly different in their day to day life and cultural practices, which we'll go into. The Cree themselves have numerous subdivisions. They are one of, to date, the largest remaining indigenous American Indian populations, with still over three hundred fifty thousand people of Cree descent. Um, I think it's over like 6,500 can fluently speak the language up in Canada. Jeez. That's all Canadian stuff. That's the... And that's that's the Algonquian dialect or like an actual... 
like uh, Cree language. It's like its own language, but like we talked about last time, it's like Spanish to Italian. Yeah, it's like you can you can if you know one, you can kind of piece together the others. But it is a, a dialect exclusive to them, and even within like Cree culture, there's numerous subdivisions, and a lot of this is based due to their uh, large migratory lifestyles that they lived hmm. up north there with those great lakes in that subarctic region there's not a lot of uh not a lot of options for agriculture i mean there was it back when the planet wasn't warming two and a half degrees a year yeah have you guys read the climate you report? guys read the climate report <laughs> i haven't we're pretty we're pretty fucked <laughs> yeah 2027 baby 2027 mad have, max have fun while you can are you gonna be what, what do you see as your role in the mad max timeline uh in the Mad Max time, yeah, like so when we when um, it all goes to shit and we're like yeah. you know desert cultists, what Man, do you see yourself doing? I don't know. I've sort of just resigned myself to being like some gimp boy. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I die like just, before that happens. I'm probably just like strapped to the hood of someone else's car. <laughs> I get my nourishment from the bugs that fly into yeah. my mouth. The engine has like a freaking robotic tilto, <laughs> just plowing <laughs> the ass the harder they drive. <laughs> I thought I put more thought into this than you, but it seems it seems otherwise. Uh, I'm the driver. I'm the driver. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like I truly, I think I'd be dead if we got into a Mad Max place. I could see I'm that. big and slow. It's just not going to work out. And I'm blind. <laughs> I'm blind. Yeah. We all going to be blind with this air quality. <laughs> and anyway. But speaking of the nomadic lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> the subarctic Cree. <laughs> They had moved around and, and separated from the rest during the height of their time, um, so like pre-colonial time, and where they had settled by the time the colonials showed up and started getting their recorded history in on it, was like northwest of the Great Lakes, though a lot had, they do a lot of migrating, um, including mm -hmm. south, southern, uh, to like the Montana, um, upper United States area. There's Cree everywhere, and they all have different names. We got, we got fucking James Bay Cree. We got Moose Cree. Moose we got Cree. Swampy Cree. We got Woodland Cree. We got Rocky Cree. We got Wild. Woods Cree, which is different from Woodland Cree. Hmm. And then we got the Plains Cree. And they all moved around. They all had various interactions with the other First Nations around there. Given that they spoke a lot of the same language, it was mostly mostly pretty amicable. Cree society, it was, again, it was hunter-gatherer, so it wasn't very big. Most of them would live in what were called bands of about bands of maybe like eight to 12. And, you know, maybe a few units of those would come together to form groups. Yeah. And they would just pretty much be like hunting parties and they would just follow herds around hmm. um, up in northern Canada. In the springtime, they travel by birch canoe and hunt like fish and, and other game like moose and stuff. Uh, in the winter, they would travel by snowshoe and toboggan. They'd hunt things like caribou and uh, snowy wolves oh, that also wow. hunted them around. Yeah, so they were, they were doing some intense shit up yeah, there. Yeah, had some serious hunting. Yeah, they, it was pretty much like, yeah, it was a hunter-gatherer society. And, you know, up in the Arctic, there's not as much gathering to be done. For sure. Of berries and whatnot. So, hmm. yeah, you'd be, you'd be pretty good at hunting to live in the Cree society. The Woodland Cree and the Plains Cree who moved further south uh, still lived a similar lifestyle. The Plains Cree, not the Plains Cree, the Woodland Cree, who were able to make more of a more agricultural settlements and more of just like a, a designated area. They lived in smaller 
smaller regional areas just because they didn't have to move around as much to follow the herds based on the seasons. Mm -hmm. So the northern Cree by like Alberta, those ones covered large swaths of territory, but they were very loosely dispersed between them. Same thing with the Plains Cree. The woodland ones, they'd they'd live much closer together. Interesting. And they did more small game hunting. Mm -hmm. And this played a lot to their favor when the Europeans came because the European fur trade was a big old deal. Absolutely. Um, Profit. Talk about the first first contacts with them. First contacts, I see different things depending on different websites. Earliest recorded documents of people interacting with the Cree from Europe is in the James Bay area around 1640. Hmm. These were like the these were the fishing, the birch canoe Cree that who and they would only see them sparsely because the Europeans weren't really equipped to be spending large amounts of time north during the winter months. Sure. The Cree could be up there hunting caribou, so they they really only see them like summertime. Hmm. Only like a few months out of the year they come by, and though you know the Cree would be fucking stocked with furs and pelts and shit. So the fact that there was this large land that was they were very loosely dispersed in meant that there was less conflict for land as there was with the uh, American settlers and the other ones, like the Iroquois and the Co. So however you pronounce yeah. it. S- yeah, I know yeah. what you're trying those to say. Those of like the Eastern the U.S. The the Yes, the yes. one with X at the end. Those with more established territories, the Cherokee like that, all further down south in those areas. Since everyone was moving around so much, there was less conflict and there was more room for trade hmm. because the, the Cree were, they were master hunters and they were just drowning in, in pelts. And so for a lot of the time between when more permanent contacts were made, it was by the Hudson Bay Company. You know, the Hudson Bay Company? I feel like I've heard of the Hudson Bay They are one of the oldest international corporations in the world. Really? Yes, I believe they're British originally. They had their first place. They were stationed in in London, I want to say. And then they come out and they want to do the fur trade. And it was just easier to buy the pelts off of the Cree. So the Cree would go out. They'd do all the hunting in the winter. They're really the only ones who could survive out there. Yeah. And then they knew the yeah they knew the they knew the land. They knew the animals and all that. Uh-huh. And then they just sell it for the Europeans. And I even got I even got some uh, some stats on trading. Hit me with the stats. Well, one gun is good for like fifty beaver pelts. Wow. Or a horse. They didn't do as much horse trading up north. That was more of the plains Cree. Sure. But I'll get into them because they were there was some more action going on down south. Okay. Probably because the Americans are down there and they're such dicks back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, those relations were kept also mostly, and I say mostly, I mean, we, we all know. We all know what the fuck happened. Yeah. But it wasn't as bad up north due to the fur trade. And that fur trade was so powerful and the uh, Hudson Bay Company grew so powerful. As well as they had the backing of like the French, the Dutch, the Scottish, all yeah. the people who wanted to go up north and do the fur trading. <laughs> Super corporation. They all came together to keep the Americans out. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So as the American Empire expanded, they did. That's why they didn't go as far north, despite there being so much land, so many animals up there, was because the other European interests like kept them down there, either economically or through military intimidation, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they, they kind of had the monopoly over there. And at the time, for a good bit of time, the Cree, they worked with it for the most part. It wasn't until the establishment of the Canadian railway system and telegraph systems where uh, the Europeans were able to, like, get more of a foothold in that northern Canadian, in that Canadian Alberta region. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, you know, once they could, they did. For sure. Start fucking on them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, as they do. (laughs) Yeah. 
But until then, the, the Cree were, they were major players in the fur trade. And that's the Northern Cree, most likely. They were also pretty cool with, uh, with mixed race marriages. Hmm. Maybe not marriages. How progressive. Relations, yes. Very, very forward thinking. This was, uh, there's a lot of, I believe, Dutch, French, and Scottish people, and even people of the Ojibwe and other like southern, not southern, but like eastern woodlands of the United States. Hmm. There'd be a lot of intermingling between them wow. and, and the Cree. Uh, those produced by such minglings were known as the Metis, Metis, hmm. said, M-E-T-I with an asterisk S. Yes. It basically just means like little inbred fuck. Gotcha. Little, little mutt. And so, from what I saw on at least the Wikipedia for First Nations, the Metis are their own sort of subsection, kind of like Inuit. Yeah. Okay. They, yeah. So, the, while they weren't part of the First Nations, because yeah. they weren't there, mm-hmm. originally, it's sort of like the mixture of... Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. All the First Nations had separated, and then some interbreeding. <laughs> inter- interracial. Inter- interracial action. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just sex and pelts. You know, if you named it, the Cree have clapped it. <laughs> wow. Yes. They seem like the Chads of the First Nations. They they just kind of did it, yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the first major meetings, the first meeting between the Hudson Bay Company and the Cree, uh, they met them, they met a war party. Oh, my God. Yes. It wasn't a war party dedicated to the Europeans. It was one. They were actually going to go into shit on some Dakota Siao. I always say fucking that. So? So I don't know. S I O U X. Should we just research we should, it now? We should probably just maybe give it a CO <laughs> from Nuns. Sue. 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 <laughs> yes. Some Dakota Sioux. They would form a war band. And what's interesting about wartime in the Cree, and a lot of the First Nations especially, is that they treated it as like a completely different time of life. Everything changed. When they went to war, most of the hunting parties, the bands as they were, the like eight to 30 ish people would go around. They wouldn't really have conflict with other ones. There just wasn't, there was too much space. There was too many resources during those pre colonial eras for them to really like fight over anything. Yeah. If, uh, if a band was like frozen and starving, they were probably so far from any other band that it wouldn't matter. It's hopeless anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And usually, the, from what I saw, they would help each other, and a lot of this has to do with the the creation myth of theirs and this sort of this idea of self sacrifice and creative giving for the sake of furthering creation, mm. which I'll get into as we go into the myths. But back to wartime efforts, <laughs> we got uh, yeah, the Hudson Bay Company originally met the Cree. They were in a war party, and they'd actually partnered up with some Ojibwe. Uh, it was like a two hundred man war band, mm. and these are formed when multiple groups get together, multiple bands. And they come together and they join up and they elect they elect a single leader amongst all of them. So they pick like the most qualified person right. to lead all of the bands in their war party against. And usually most of the conflict was with people to the southeast of them. So like some some American Eastern Woodlands people, the Seneca. So the Great Plains pre would have conflict with the snake, snake people further south. Hmm. And I believe in the late 17th or sorry, late 18th century early 19th century, even like there was some fighting between the Cree nations because they had just spent so much time apart. They had grown such different cultures. Sure. And, you know, scarcity and competition was beginning to ramp up as you boys, the white boys pulled up. 
represent. Am I right? Ruin the world. <laughs> I don't know if I actually want to represent that. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, they eventually did come into conflict, but those war bands were they were their own thing. And then when the war time ended, they'd split up. Whoever the leader was would just go back to his band. Wild. Like it never happened. And if they ever needed to do battle again, and just the banners would be called. The banners, more or less. Would, yeah. Mm. And then they'd elect a new person. Hmm. That's an interesting. That's like a. <laughs> democratic kingship yeah kind of it's um yeah their politics were very it was very loose it wasn't like the the iroquois where they had the was it like the seven nations confederacy yeah like that i, I don't know about that the one oh <laughs> there's a one i believe it was benjamin franklin oh. uh referred to the iroquois and the united states owing them uh an unpayable debt for uh what they contributed to democracy hmm. a lot of the constitution apparently is based off of the uh the Iroquois Confederacy, oh, wow. and not Greek democracy, like a lot of people believe. Huh. Since Greek democracy was a lot of it was like polis city states with a lot of like individual yes. voting and stuff, the Iroquois had more of like the representative type system, which was interesting. That um, was interesting. We're here to talk about the Cree. The Cree don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. Who gives a fuck about this confederacy? <laughs> They're here to fuck Scottish <laughs> bitches, kill moose, <laughs> and vibe. Took names. That's the Canadian Cree, though. If you go a little further south to the Montana area, you have the Plains Cree. Yeah. And that's where the action was at yeah. back in the day. What kind of action? Oh. What am I What am I strapping in Baby, for I'm right talking now? horse action. Oh. I'm talking... <laughs> Mr. Hands. <laughs> I'm talking horses. I'm talking guns. I'm talking monopolies. I'm talking, mm -hmm. like... There's some Game of Thrones shit going on in like the on the Eastern Plains. Okay. Back in the back in seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth centuries, they had formed up with. I don't know if you've heard of them, the the Blackfeet Indians, Blackfoot Indians. Uh, I saw their name in my research, but I didn't okay. look into them. Blackfoot Indians are if you were um, a white person and you wanted to get fucked up, you just sort of roll up on some Blackfoot Indian territory, start like kicking rocks around. They these guys were like they were, these were the name of the game for kicking white ass back in the day. They okay, were these guys, were like is this like the Blackfoot Indians? This is the generalization, like the savages, the barbarians of the frontier. These are these are kind of the reason Texas adopted the like kill on sight policy okay. for Native Americans. Because <laughs> oh <my laughs> they're they're just some bad mamma jammas. They like yeah. they they'd fuck on the Apaches. They pretty much like pushed other people out of the plains regions because they had they had most of the horses at the time they had a lot of guns um and then they just used them and they kept growing and growing and growing they had partnered up with the cree as well as some other nations i believe some northern jibwe some metis some asinobine as well as uh the hudson bay company the british trading company <laughs> of the north they yeah. had formed something known as the iron confederacy wow this Badass. Is, this man. sounds awesome. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and they just sort of ran shit on the plains for, I think it was the height of their reach was, I think, uh, 1800 through 1850. Wow. And so, yeah, they were pretty much, for the most part, kind of untouchable mm -hmm. until then. Obviously, disease and the growing might of the American military put pressures on that. But they, they were the ones who, like, they held out for the longest, hmm. for sure. And it's because of those horses and those guns, and that was the big trade back in the day, and they had sort of monopolized any any land-based trade between the East and West Coast wow. up through like 1850 through the use of those, those guns and whatnot. Wow. Sounds like they really kind of just adapted to the environment. 
the Hudson Bay yeah. Company. Like they, that's the, that's they the saw creed. the opportunity yeah. and they said, "All right, that is, do or die, more or less." Yeah, very adaptable, um, especially that. Yeah, and their hunter gatherer lifestyle mm-hmm. adapted very well to the needs. You know, Europeans being too annoying here, they went down south. They adopted whole new lifestyles. You know, they were usually just up north. It was like snowshoes, paddleboards. Not paddleboard, snowshoes, canoes, boggins, the like. Mm-hmm. They go down south. They just got really good at riding horses wow. and doing stuff like that. Yeah. So they just, yeah, they met the needs of the market, as it were. Incredible. So to say, relatively, as thriving as you can be in uh, 19th century North America. Absolutely. If you're not. <laughs> an oil baron. If you're not an oil baron. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Confederate, would, they would go back and forth. They would beef with people. They would trade with people, namely the snakes. Sioux, the Shoshones, the even the Woodland Cree, who had taken up that more sedentary lifestyle out east mm-hmm. in the woods. Up north, as the fur, tr- or I'm sorry, still on the plains, as the fur trade declined and the Europeans began to gain more of a foothold, this was about like 1850, they had turned to uh, bison, bison hunting. Mm-hmm. They did bison hunting mostly just for themselves, like to eat, sure. to get pelts and stuff. But now they did it for the meat. Part of the part of the reason the bisons went so extinct was the competition between the remnants of the Iron Confederacy and the American settlers mm. who were moving out west. Tragedy of the Commons. You ever heard of that uh, that saying? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's teach me. Pretty much too much competition. They like overextend themselves and the resources available. Gotcha. And it all collapses. And it all, and then you know they run out and everyone gets shit on. Gotcha. I'm sure that won't be the case with. Oil and gas by 2027. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess we'll find out. But yeah. that's that's pretty much what happened with the bisons. And that was a fat L for the Confederacy and the Cree <laughs> as a whole. It was uh, the overhunting of bison for the meats and the pelts had made it so that the Confederacy had to move more northward mm. and pretty much just sort of resign themselves to like single herds and just sort of follow them around. Because now the herds, similar to the, the northern Cree, pre-colonial were too dispersed for them to go back and forth gotcha and you know sort of nibble off of each one mm-hmm. while maintaining the i don't know the, word. the collective yeah the yeah while keeping the herd you know pretty pretty well preserved sure to make it a sustaining yeah sustainable, not unsustainable um, yeah yeah they would okay. they would usually just like bounce back and forth because bison were like everywhere back yeah. in the day we don't really think of it seem as like some rare thing mm-hmm. but they were all over the place mm-hmm. And uh, this created some stiff competition with the Europeans who were just like, fuck it. If I can't have it, no one can. Mm-hmm. Just caught an open season and then hunted those bison to near extinction. Yeah. From what I read, they didn't even really like need most of them. They just did it to starve the Indians out. Oh, that's crazy fucked up. Yeah, crazy fucked up. But the Iron Confederacy was a wild time. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. Yeah, South Cree for the win, for sure. Yeah, Plains Cree, were, they were on at them and the Blackfeet. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of the Confederacy, though, they did come into conflict with the Blackfeet over same reasons, and this is when the Confederacy is beginning to dissolve. Mm-hmm. So they had, yeah, the Plains Cree had pretty much been shrunken back north, um, and now at this point, mid nineteenth century, this is when the uh, the trading companies who had been keeping the Americans out and doing fur trading with the Cree, they had their railways built. They had some infrastructure laid down in mm-hmm. Canada. They had it like mapped out and stuff. No real need for the Cree yep, anymore. Yep, didn't need the Cree anymore. Uh-huh. So now they're they're getting it too up there. So it really just sort of all went wrong mm-hmm. at once. Jeez. Yeah. And but that's why the Cree remain one of the the largest remaining First Nations to this day. It's because they uh they've very much adapted to 
the colonialism mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they weren't afraid to try new things, make new lives for themselves. And this uh, this create this adaptability, this creativity, it plays a lot into their creation myth, which I'll talk about now. Yeah. Teach me. Yes, creation myth. Um, from what I've read, it's again this all of the history from the indigenous North American point of view is it's not written. It's oral. Mm-hmm. It's in art. It's in architecture. If you're looking at, you know, some of the the like southern places like the Cheyenne or the Mound Builders or even in the southwest like where we are, you got places um, like Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon, mm-hmm. stuff like that, where there was they were more the sedentary lifestyles and they had the architecture to tell the stories through. Gotcha. Um, it's very very heavily reliant on oral history up north because they maintain that nomadic lifestyle mm-hmm. so far into the modern era. So there isn't really like architecture to to do that with. It's in the designs of clothes, it's in the arts, and the speaking. And because of that, the First Nations history, it's very similar, but each one has a lot of variations depending on sure. the nation. And this, the same goes just like the language, just like the culture between the Cree nations themselves, the Northern Cree, the Great Lakes Cree, the Woodland Cree. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, but... Let's dig in. Yeah. It begins with the Great Spirit again. Um, almost all of the North American societies believe in animism, namely the great spirit. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like... What is animism? Animism is just sort of the belief that there is a... Everything is like a spirit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes for the smallest pebble. It's like the tiny stick spirit to even broader concepts like the rivers, the lakes, sure. warriors, groups of people. There's like spirits that sort of represent and embody all these things. Yeah. And these were all created by the great spirit. Who has many nif- different names throughout yeah. many societies? There's a there's one there's a name exclusive to the Ojibwe. I believe you were telling me about yeah, Gichi uh, Menodu. Yes, Gichi Menodu. Yeah, Gichi Menodu. This one it's spelled with uh, with K's. I, I mean, maybe it's pronounced the same, but from what we we read, it could yeah. I, yeah. When I researched for mine, there were so many different variations. Yeah, so I just wrote spelled. down one that I can pronounce easily. <laughs> the way, easiest to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. So I look like the least, the least like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I had Kichi Manitou was what yeah. I wrote down. Mm-hmm. So again, they're I all think good. It is the same. The yeah. Same spirit. And it's a lot of it is the same-ish creation myth between all of them. It's that this great spirit created the earth, humans. Um, plants and animals and spirits that all go between them um and the spirits come from uh sky world i believe it's called which is like heaven yeah it's up not in the like sky. not like the sky world trampoline place you can go to now oh uh, yes unlike modern sky world <laughs> it's <laughs> like sweaty middle schoolers jumping around yeah. no this is uh this is a cultural heaven excellent <laughs> not superior. to not to be confused <laughs> yeah so trampolines are fun <laughs> Uh, in addition to the idea of the animism and the spirits that embody everything and the great spirit that created it all, there's often a trickster figure in these these stories. Mm-hmm. And the trickster figure varies. In the, the Iroquois myth, um, the trickster figure is like the brother of, you know, the main hero of the story. He's like a villain. He mm-hmm. goes around like kills for fun. Mm-hmm. He's a bad person. Defeating this trickster is, you know, what saves the human race and the animals and all that. In Navajo culture, the trickster is like, he's a member of the party as they travel through the many worlds to get to the current one where they lived and settled in their area of uh, Nevada, New Mexico. Mm. 
in the Cree one, the trickster is kind of the main character. Interesting. He's like the hero of the story. And the trickster is always, they always embody the lessons that the people want to learn. And the ones where they're the villain, it's what they're doing is wrong, and they're punished for it, and they're punished by, you know, those who are right. In the Cree one, we sort of see the trickster. The trickster's name is Wisakechak. 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 Because I believe the name of the trickster. Um, this is just the trickster spirit. You like to go around prank people and whatnot. But it's it's all very jovial. This isn't done with like malice and stuff. This is just sort of in this being's nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them, they're often the, the trickster is often depicted as a coyote in the art. In this one, I see some art where Sakachak does have a coyote, but he's he's described as a shapeshifter. Yeah, like he can take any form, which is another common theme among the trickster archetypes. Mm-hmm. That um, we might touch on this in a later season, but like most Western uh, Native American cultures, like the Skinwalker. Oh yeah, that's the trickster in their mythology. Yeah, and, and that's like, like they, they do take on the shape of like that's a, a villain. In that yeah, it's a straight up villain. <laughs> yeah, that's a villain in that one. Yeah, yeah. but with Sakachak, he was also a shapeshifter. He could be anything. Cool, but he mostly just go around like fuck with people. Mm-hmm. But he would also he would fuck with people, but be to teach them lessons about things and he was given specific lessons to teach people by the great spirit Mm. in the first world but he did not he just liked to fuck with people for fun (laughs) and so these people not learning the lessons that the trickster was supposed to teach them they you know they grew to infighting and greed and and all of the vices that are forbidden and we see in Cree culture that the spirit of greed and uh hunger is Mm. that's like the main villainous one is the overextension of yourself and and your oh, world around you. Yeah. It's anything that stands against creation is sort of what the Cree, that's like the main antagonistic force mm-hmm. of their society. So not the trickster, but more hunger and greed. The trickster was supposed to teach them to avoid these things. He did not. So the great spirit pulled a, pulled a, uh, a Judeo-Christian guy. I was like, fuck it, flood. Yeah. And once again gave the trickster some instructions he's like all right buddy you fucked up these people are they're too far gone i'm just mm-hmm. gonna flood it clean slate clean slate here are your just instructions like God in the old testament yep clean slate it <laughs> uh here are the instructions you're gonna take some moss and you're gonna regrow the earth after this flood has happened the trickster's like yeah okay well fucking whatever he did not collect any moss yeah. before the flood came as a trickster would yeah as he would who needs it yeah moss fucking moss so he didn't, and now here he is. The world's flooded. The humans are all dead. All of the land animals are dead. All that remains are, like, water-friendly creatures and birds. Hmm. And the trickster stuck alone on his canoe <laughs> for days at a time. <laughs> and there is no land to be seen. Um, it is described as, like, sort of a lifeless void. There's, uh, there's like, no sun. There's no animals. There's no plants. It's just water, mm-hmm. as far as the eye can see. And it's too deep to swim down. And all the moss is at the bottom of the water. Mm. And the trickster cannot swim down there. So he does what tricksters do. He gets some other people to do the dirty work. Mm. He first befriends... Clever. Yes. Typical. He first asks the beaver. He's like, beaver, he says, and he says to him, this is, as the story goes, a lot of this isn't in writing. I actually found it. It's all its videos. YouTube videos are a great way mm. to get a lot of indigenous history mm-hmm. because they'll, you just record a person speaking it. And again, it's an oral history. Yeah, so that's all you that's need, it. really. I was on the the University of Saskatchewan page, and they were like, oh, yeah, Cree myth. And it, it was like a three-paragraph waste of time. It's like, Cree myth, very in-depth, very cool. 
Um, <laughs> you gotta hear it. <laughs> Next page, be like, there are many layers to Cree myth. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. It's like those clickbaity titles. Yeah. You know when you like look for a recipe online oh, and yeah. they give you like the whole story about yeah. why her aunt is like why she loves this recipe. Yeah, and then, yeah. it is exactly that. And each paragraph just ends with like, oh, should have been there. Should have heard should've, it. Should have, could have, would have. Yeah. So the written ones, and it's also not as entertaining at all, because mm-hmm. then you're just you're just sort of like reading a transcript. Yeah, you're of reading what, a summary. What of, little of bit an actual can, story? Yeah, the YouTube they put some production value into those YouTube videos. They got like the music in the background. Yeah, um, like their own photographers to go take pictures of the land nearby. Cool. I've been watching a bunch of those. I need to get into it. More. Oh yeah, but this is the Cree creation one. So, what's that? Yeah, Wasakachak. Yeah. Okay, I said it right. Yeah. So Wasakachak commissions Beaver to do it. And to Beaver, he sort of embellishes him a bit. He's like, Beaver, honey, you're such a good swimmer. You're so fucking good at this. God, you're so cool, Beaver. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some moss? And Beaver's like, fuck yeah, I am cool, aren't I? And then he drowns trying to get the moss. Oh, my God. Beaver fucking dies. <laughs> Rest in peace, Beaver. Yes. So Wasakachak goes to Otter. He embellishes Otter. Otter. Otter doing dances, very nimble in the water. He's like, Otter, you're definitely the best swimmer I know. (laughs) You are not second string swimmer, Otter. Uh By process of elimination, you are the best (laughs) swimmer right now. You are the best swimmer. Can you swim to the bottom and give me some moss? Otter's like, bro, I'm the best swimmer you got. Of course I can give you some moss. Otter fucking dies. dies. (laughs) There's some other variations of the story where we say the animals almost die. But on those websites, there's a lot of like, ads for kids stuff around so i'm thinking they're trying to they're it, fluffing it, up. it may have been a little fluffed up yeah so then he goes to i believe they call it the loon which is like a duck just mm-hmm. like waterfowl yeah loon you're the best <laughs> swimmer i know you'll never guess <laughs> i'm about to blow your fucking mind <laughs> loon. loon can you go get me some moss i need to regrow the earth I'll give you three guesses what happens to Loon. I, I would assume <laughs> Loon fucking dies. Loon dies. Loon drowns. <laughs> yeah, so Wasaka Talks just got like bloated bodies behind him. As he's like, as he's, <laughs> and he's talking to people. To the next animal. Yes, and he's like getting desperate. He's like starving. Yeah. He's cold. Eventually, he comes upon Muskrat. Mm, muskrat. Muskrat is described as the most humble of the animals. Because he's, he's not the best swimmer. He's a muskrat. <laughs> He's a fucking muskrat. <laughs> but Wasaka Chuck comes to him and he doesn't even he doesn't embellish him this time. He's like, Muskrat, I'm gonna be real with you. We're all pretty fucked if you don't do this. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you're not my first choice, you're my only choice. And this is where, like I said, those Cree ideals of um creativity and self sacrifice for the purpose of creation come in. Mm-hmm. Muskrat, knowing he'll probably die trying to do it agrees to do it anyway and he King. he gives it a few goes and he comes back to the surface a few times in failure he can't mm-hmm. get down far enough but you know a few tries in he goes down and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting muskrat doesn't come back up and they're like well i fucking drowned another one <laughs> <laughs> but then muskrat emerges half dead he basically like bobs to the surface oh he was he was willing to die for this moss but he got it wow muskrat got the fucking moss so Osaka Chakra stores him, his, his, you know, stores him back to health, mm-hmm. and then begins to grow the land mm-hmm. back. As the land grows, humans and animals begin to reemerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Osaka Chakra commissions the wolf to go run to the farthest corners of the land 
and tell him if it's big enough yet. Wolf does this a few times. He's like, it's not big enough yet. It's not big enough yet. Mm-hmm. Sakachak, I believe how he grows the land is he ignites it with lightning from the Great Spirit, and then he blows on it, and mm. it sort of blows the land out. And with each breath in that Sakachak takes, uh, that carves out the rivers and the lakes. And with oh, each breath wow. out, the land expands. Huh. Yes. And so Wolf was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm sick of running. I'm going to go to the farthest corner. If I'm not back by, he gave him some sort of deadline. I'm mm-hmm. not back by like sun's height or something. Then you know the land is big enough. Hmm. And then that's it. So then that, you know, wow. the land became big that's enough. That's really cool. Yes, that's with it. I think it's interesting too that the, um, the, the animals that fucking died. <laughs> but died. there were four of them. Kind of similar to just the the numerology of Native American cultures that like four is a oh, big yes, number those, the of seasonal, the seasons. Yes, yeah. that which you talked about uh-huh. before, yeah. So it, it was four animals. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, huh. beaver, otter, loon, and then muskrat clutches it. Wow. Crazy cool. Super cool. Wasakachak remains sort of the main character of the Cree mythology mm-hmm. for a long time. He has a number of other adventures. Uh, I believe it's the Woodland Cree, those who were they were like closest with the Seneca. Mm-hmm. The Seneca's ideas they had more to do with the sky, sky world, and the Great Spirit. And spirits up there had a lot more interaction with the ground below in the in those Eastern Woodland cultures. Mm. And the Cree one included that in that the sky spirit had a, a son and a daughter who would tend to things. The daughter would uh, she'd clean up up top in the heavens mm-hmm. when she fluffed the clouds the feathers would come down as snow the sun would hunt and fish and when he hung his net out to dry it would come down as rain mm. eventually i don't know it was the great spirit but it was the spirit who, who commanded the sun there was no moon according back in the day oh interesting yes they commanded the sun he was eventually like i'm gonna die and one of you two are gonna have to take over mm. and the two bickered and fought over it and they couldn't really come to it decision as to who's more qualified to run the sun mm-hmm. so wasakachak steps in he's like all right son you get the sun <laughs> daughter uh you're gonna work just as hard but you're gonna work at night so she got the moon huh. so she keeps the moon lit he keeps the sun lit cool wasakachak does all sorts wow yeah that's cool too that he was like the trickster god but like his tricks wouldn't work as far as getting the moss it was when he had to be honest it was when he had and, to like, be up front yeah the world was created again. Yeah, and then after that, he, he he went back to tricking. Yeah, and it was it was namely to teach people lessons. It was never out of malice or anything like that. Sure, he would just sort of fuck with people and teach them the lessons that he didn't teach them in the first world. Mm. That made this great spirit go fuck it. Flood time. Interesting. Yeah, and so that so there's a lot of um, the values that are taught through these stories to the Cree are those of humility, valuing creation and mm. life above all else, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, like sort of that balance between yourself and the animals. Like each animal has its use and its needs. And there's like a balance from what you take from each one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's creation myth. And that's also, awesome you know, creation myth. the lives they lived based on it. Yeah. And we see, and we'll be getting into it when we get into the spooky episode. Oh yeah. As to what the, uh, what the spirit of hunger and greed embodies. Mm-hmm. And what you can become with that. And it represents namely the extremes of the nomadic lifestyle, which come with uh, starvation yep. and cold. And uh, cannibalism. Yep, yep. You got to eat something. <laughs> and at some point, it becomes yep. your friends. But once yeah. you cross that threshold, it's like Batman killing. You, yeah. you can't go back. You can't go back. Can't go back. It's not Batman anymore. No. Except What's... for all the nameless 
Except for all the goons. Some Serbian goons <laughs> that he just fucking breaks their backs. <laughs> like, annihilates. <laughs> yeah. And leaves them out in the cold. <laughs> I, didn't, out. I didn't kill him the fall did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of that scene, especially in this balance, it's even seen in the individual creatures. Um, the art of the Kree, I mm-hmm. think, is very interesting. It's a lot of rounded shapes mm. and bright colors. So I have some here, and we'll be posting a YouTube video. You could see some. So oftentimes it shows the patterns of the creatures that are on there. There are some drawings where it shows the colors and everything that's on the inside is, um, it shows like their insides. It's like, it's like they're sort of anatomical drawing. Like you see a moose, you see like it's gullet and like it's organs and stuff. It looks almost like a mosaic. Yeah. It's kind of like a mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like painted on. These would usually be worn on their clothes or. On the gotcha. outside of the wigwams, painted on the canoes, stuff like that, or even face paint cool. to make themselves look like the creatures they represent. Mm-hmm. They might paint themselves to look like the wolf or the moose when it's time to fuck shit up. Wow, stuff like that. The one of the scariest Native American paintings I've seen is a painting of the Wendigo yeah. itself, because oh. it is done in this art style of the rounded corners and the bright colors. Oh, okay. but you see the like the anatomy of it on the inside. And it's just people in there. Oh, <laughs> fucking like eating people. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> God, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's some spooky shit, but it's very cool. We'll be having pictures up on our yeah. social media. And we'll be checking it out. Yeah, but that is, that's the Cree society. That's, you know, awesome. how they lived, how they started out. It's a day in the life. Cool. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about the Ojibwe or the Chippewa people. Mm. Um, their origin as a, uh, as a tribe or clan, and then just culture practices. I'm not going to go too much into anything with Europeans, because I kind of want to save the bulk of that for reference for the next episode. Oh, but the following. Otherwise, it, it's just going to be culture and religion, similar to yours. Nice. Yeah. Cool. There you go. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, yes. everybody. Thank Definitely you. Definitely be sure to tune in next week. Yeah. We're going to be talking more history, more myth, yeah. more more of that sweet, sweet nonfiction lore. Mm delicious we gotta we should do this every week we should do this every week nah. for a five to ten week period <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. two off weeks and then back on it again i like that idea <laughs> that's a good idea we should do that it's like some sort of seasonal affair oh, how strange oh how, how whimsical just right off the bat randomly, randomly. i don't know i'm just fucking rambling at this point all right thanks anyway, so much for tuning in yeah, tune in this time next you. week we'll week see three you coming up three coming up Peace. hit us up on social media yes, yes. <laughs>